Time to stop the chaos. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time to stop the chaos now. On Fundraising Heyday, we talk a lot about how grant seeking gets more complex every year. Make 2023 the year you finally get a system to track grant deadlines and information. It's time to stop the chaos with Grant Holster. It was developed for grant professionals by grant professionals, which makes all the difference. First month is always free. And Grant Holster is giving our listeners a 25% discount on the entire first year of your subscription. Just enter Heyday, all one word, H-A-Y-D-A-Y, as your coupon at checkout, and you'll get that amazing discount. And they have a hands-on demo at grantholster.com that lets you explore the platform on your own. But if you want someone to walk you through it, they also have folks that can do that. So if you've been struggling with spreadsheets, clunky applications with a million workarounds, or just keeping your deadlines on sticky notes, head over to grantholster.com and take a look. And remember to enter the coupon code HEYDAY at checkout to get your 25% discount for a full year. And stop the chaos. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, um, including how to raise funds, win grants, and work together to change philanthropy for the better. That's right. We've got new episodes dropping every two weeks, and they typically include... Yeah, we haven't done cheesy sound effects in a while. We, we may need oh, to make that. Oh, today's the day. Today. Um, of course, songs and all that good stuff, because we don't think learning should be boring. So. Nope. Nope. This podcast is brought to you by our season six sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Their team can help make grants less stressful by assisting you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Don't let grants stress you out. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So with April Fool's Day kind of around the corner as we are recording this, you know, for us, for this podcast, now in our sixth season with over 100 episodes that can only mean one thing that's right time for another episode of rip from the headlines the grand edition style yeah you thought you were missing those cheesy sound effects y'all just we got it we got i feel like we need a law and order so this is this is we, we feel like this is our public service of yes. um, what not to do. Don't do it. Don't work for people who do these things. Blow that whistle. Yes. But better to learn from the egregious criminal activity of others than commit it yourself, either knowingly or unknowingly. Absolutely. So anytime I teach a grant class, especially like a federal grant management class with all the rules and regulations and all the things, and let's be clear, I still don't consider myself like uber, uber expert in every single grant management rule. And there's still, there's so many of them out there. It's hard for one person to know all the things. So um, if you're a newbie in that and you're sitting in a class and we're sharing all these things you need to know, it can be very much a... Um, 
like drinking from a fire hydrant kind of feeling because there's just so much and a lot of times I just stop and will feel like half the attendees have like this huge eyed look like oh my gosh that's so much I'm gonna go to jail I'm gonna miss something I'm gonna forget something and that's why I like to share stories like these because you're right. You probably are going to miss something, right? I have made mistakes in grants before. I've been late on reports. I I had um, submitted an invoice and I accidentally, um, that's what I'm looking for, transverse two numbers. And so instead of asking for like $1,800 in a reimbursement, I asked for $8,100 in a reimbursement. And no. Even though if you had paid attention on my backup documentation, you would have realized, but in a funder paid me that full amount. And as soon as it came in, I was like, that's not correct. We didn't spend that much money. But again, I didn't get in trouble because I immediately called. It was like, hey, this is what happened. How do we fix it? And we fixed it and things were fine. So we like to share these stories because they are so over the top because people are doing some crazy things and they are so over the top. And these are the people that are willfully doing things, you know, it's it's personal gain it's it's not just oh i didn't know that was a rule it's i know it's a rule but i don't care the rule doesn't apply to me i'm doing whatever i want anyway and i'm reaping the benefits these are the people that are having those serious consequences of paying back money of maybe being suspended in the bar maybe going to jail all those kinds of things so yeah i i I don't know why i don't know why i like this so much i think i think we both do. So. I think it's, I also love old school, like golden age detective fiction, right? And mm-hmm. I write young adult historical mysteries, murder mysteries. So there's a part of me. Also, if a long time ago, we talked about our Enneagram personality yeah. types. Mine is called the reformer. Um, and many among many other names, uh, none of them particularly. I'm like, oh, how nice to be called that or the perfectionist. And there's, there's a longing for justice. I think that I bring to the table when I look at these things and I'm like, justice served. Um, so we have, what do we have three today that we're going to be talking about? So I'm going to, I'm going to kick off the first, and I am proud to say that they're not all from the state of Georgia. In fact, none of them are today. That is not to say that there is not deviltry and wrongdoing in our fair state, because there is. But we are spreading the rip from the headlines love, thanks to Amanda's top-notch research. And submissions from friends of ours that go, hey, you ought to, hey, did you know about this? So if you do know of a big old juicy grant-related scandal, let us know. Oh yeah, we love we. That, I mean, honestly, most of these stories are from people who over the past twelve months have texted or emailed me. Oh my gosh, did you hear about this? This is make a perfect um, story oh. for your next episode. So send them in. And we have a new email we would like to share with you. Yes, because we got a new website too, and That's it's right. And the email is imaginatively entitled hello at heydayservices.com. So if you've got a juicy scandal, you just come on down to hello at heydayservices.com. So on to our first. Kimberly, before, while we're doing announcements, one thing I should have announced at the top of the episode, I totally forgot. 
We are going to be visiting some of our listeners. We are going to be in Chicago on Friday, April 28th. We are uh, 2023. Yes, that's true. Um, We are keynoting the Chicago Grant Professionals Association um, conference. And so we're going to be there. Anybody can register and and attend the conference, um, whether you are a member of that uh, GPA chapter or not. Um, so if you're like, Hey, I'm nearby. I want to see y'all in person. Well, get on registered. We'd love, we're keynoting and we're delivering uh, one of their workshops in the afternoon. So, uh, you get the double dose of heyday. And the Chicago chapter is doing great work with this conference. And so, so come on down, come on down. So are we cool? Can I start with the first one? Anything else? Go for it. All right. Go for it. First up, Iowa. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, we may share a name, but you can call me Kimberly, by the way. Um, But uh, yeah, there's some COVID funding stuff that we need to talk about. Um, I'll refer you first to an article, a recent article from the Associated Press with the headline, Iowa to return $21 million in virus aid used for IT project. Okay. We're talking about COVID. I know it's like, um, yeah, or wah wah. So you know, a lot of sound effects could go with this. Um, So the deal is, and twenty-one million. I mean, yeah. So let's dive in. So originally, these were funds allocated for contract with another firm. You know, this is normal operating procedure. This firm called Workday, a cloud-based human resources, finance, planning system, you know, your back-end operational stuff to modernize Iowa's IT infrastructure. Fair. Important Um, thing that needs to be done, I'm sure. I'm not, I mean, no, no, this is, this is, this is the, it makes sense part. Um, Mm -hmm. Out of the 21 million allocation, they spent 4.45 million and they assured the state, along with the Treasury officials, so the governor, Governor Kim Reynolds, said U.S. Treasury officials initially assured the state that the project was an allowable expense, which I'm also going to say maybe it was allocable as well. So allowable and allocable under the guidelines of this COVID-19 relief funding I'm not sure which wave of funding it was, but that is not the important part of this story. So, um, but then wait, then U.S. Treasury officials were like, hey, no, no, no. These payments, 4.45 million, were not allowed under the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. So you may be telling yourself, wait, they said it was good and then they said it wasn't. I'm like, yes, welcome to the world of government, federal government, emergency funding and how things can go astray when there's lots of money for relief coming in fast, coming in hot, and sometimes mistakes are made. Yep. So another AP News article, this one was from March of last year, that being 2022. Um, it says that the um, the government, the Iowa government, must return 450,000 in COVID-19 funds. So that's the portion of the 4.5 million. So I'm like, okay, tell me more. 
So the state auditor, this wasn't a federal thing. No, this is an addition to that. That first one, this is yeah. extra. It's for about something totally different. Yeah. yeah. More yeah. money. Give so the numbers sound the same except for a couple of zeros. Don't let that, don't get it all twisted up inside. This is something separate. So the, the hijinks continue. And the state auditor, that you know, that was an awkward conversation. That's what I'm going to say. Um, discovered 450K, at least we're not in the millions, was used to pay for 21 governor's office staff for three months in 2020. Okay. The auditor says the governor tried to conceal it by passing it through the State Department of Homeland Security and emergency management. And here's what I'm, th- I'm thinking there's some hapless grant manager or staff accountant somewhere that was like, well, the governor said to do this. So we're not, I know it's complex, but I'm also like, really, governor? So then in December, the governor's office released a like 160-page document uh, justifying the use of federal pandemic emergency money for staff salaries. The auditor, uh, this this brave unknown auditor says, <laughs> uh-uh, it's ineligible. Why? Why, listeners? It's called supplanting when you take money for stuff that's already in your budget. So yeah, supplanting. So it was already in the budget to pay for those staff people, right? So emergency relief money cannot be used for something for which there was already money in the state to pay for those salaries. I think a difference could have been if suddenly those office staff were first responders or in some way providing direct service in a completely different way and a completely different compensation package from their job. But even that's like, that's been anyway. So here we have the governor of a state supplanting. I'm like, y'all. So a spokesperson for the governor in which I'm sure followed a statement that followed another awkward exchange. I'm just imagining lots of awkward tap dancing around this. Um, (laughs) The spokesperson said the staff members spent most of their time responding to the pandemic. Many work several days a week out of the state emergency operations center to provide direct support. Okay. But their salaries were already covered. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm, it's like, mm. especially, the, you know, it doesn't really detail like what these positions are, but like if you're in a job where you're supposed to be interfacing with the public anyway, you don't, you know, it'd be one thing if it was like, hey, this is a person that normally was, I don't know, mowing the lawn. And now instead of doing that, they had to figure out how, yeah. maybe, but I mean, it's, it's these are people that I'm guessing are normally probably doing some of this type of work anyway. And this may fall, if, you, if they were at the emergency operations center, um, helping hand out um, uh, COVID tests or um, food or water or something like that. Their salaries were already covered. And so also if their salaries were already covered, why are you doing this? Give the money to the people. Give the money to the people who lost their jobs. Give the money to the people who have college loans that they can't pay back because they lost their jobs. Or people who had to quit their jobs to take care of their kids. Yeah, Hello. we need to hire additional staff to help cover the extra workload. Okay, then hire new people to help. So your people aren't working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? And I know you could be thinking, but everyone was under so much pressure. I'm like, yeah, including the people who were 
who's were watching family members die of COVID. I am not on team. Oh, but it was all, it's like, no, come on. You got to play, you got to play by, you got to go by the, the people who have the money still have the power. Would that we were all equal partners, but you know, we're not. So let's just don't even say that that's an option. But I'm also like, you're the governor of a state and you're not understanding about supplanting. I don't mm. care which side of the political party bed that you get up on. Can you please educate yourself on just some basic business? So in addition to the documentation, not necessarily justifying expenses, the governor's office also missed their reporting deadline to the U.S. Department of Treasury. Um, and we still don't know as of today when we're recording this, uh, the I beware the Ides of March because we were recording this on the 15th. The anniversary of Julius Caesar's assassination. So another really bad government thing that went down on this day many, many centuries ago. But still, we still don't know where this is going. But the bigger picture for me, before we move on to the next juicy story that Amanda's going to bring you, the bigger picture to me is like, y'all, you had one job to get this money to the people. Yep. That's what the job was. And that's not what happened. And we all know that when big influxes of government funding, whether it's um, something like a pandemic or a natural disaster, mistakes are made and things are chaotic. But all that time that they burned through trying to justify $450,000, not spending the $21 million where it was supposed to go, I hope that someone's cousin did not work for that HR company. I'm not clear, but I'm smelling all sorts of stuff here. I mean, <laughs> it's not like there wasn't need for that emergency funding. I am sure there were people in Iowa either going hungry or having to go into the hospital or not being able to go to the hospital, watching their loved ones die because they couldn't get access to basic things. I remember, and as I'm sure you do as listeners very well, how scary it was in 2020 before vaccines were available and all the suffering that that people had to do as bars, restaurants, hotels shut down. So it's just, yeah. it just, it's especially egregious when it's something like that. It is. Well, and I wonder too, like I remember I worked in local government back in 2008, 2009, when all of that stimulus money was coming down through the yep, American same. Recovery Act. And like I vividly remember we were, it was through a um, formula grant program that uh, awarded, it was the e, uh, energy efficiency Con and conservation block grants. So based on some formula to determine how much money. So we were getting like $250,000. Great. But so, so, but when they're, when suddenly people are just throwing a bunch of money at you, it's not it's necessarily, it's like, okay, but, do we need that money? You know, and so we struggled to find projects that were eligible to spend the money. Like one of the things, like for all of our public buildings, we traded out some of our older light fixtures for LED lights that helps okay. with efficiency. Okay, so fine. So we did that. Well, that spent a portion of the money. We still had a lot left. And then they were suggesting, well, you could trade out, you could do the same thing for all of like your um, your outdoor lighting, like your pedestrian lighting and your street lighting. Well, in at least in our community, that was all owned by Georgia Power. So we're not going to pay for improvements on things that are not owned by the city, right? So that's 
that would be a Georgia Power thing. And plus, they probably wouldn't let us touch their poles and, you know, change these things. Um, so that was like, yeah, that won't work. And so a few other things they were suggesting just weren't feasible. We had the hardest time giving them the money back. Like they kept going, we don't want it back. Figure out a way. But we we're like, we don't have eligible projects. And we didn't want to do something that was going to get us in trouble. Because I'm like, yeah, we're And they couldn't go to like area agencies to help them do that? Like if you had contracts with nonprofits or partners? Remember, that's been a long time ago. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe, but they could have said no to that. But you don't take that money and pay staff salaries with it while you're trying to figure it out. Yes. So, but I just remember, I I can imagine the pressure, like when money comes fast and and again, we're a small, in the scheme of things, small potatoes type of city. So I cannot imagine a state when you're getting that much money so fast. And because if you haven't asked for it, it's not like, Hey, we have this need and we already know it. It's, Oh, this money's coming. Um, what do, what do we need? What do we need? What do we need? Uh, Oh, let's, we we need new infrastructure for it. Well, that's it. Let's do it. So it's, but I mean, there, I, it's true, but. Oh yeah. But I, it's just the whole system is, it's bad from all sides is what I'm trying to say is I don't. It's bad for all sides, but if you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're the governor, I just feel like, figure it I out. just feel like you of all the people in your state have the staff resources and time to figure this out. And uh-huh. to have those frank discussions. And as a governor, I bet your calls get returned a lot faster than mine do from other federal agencies. I'm talking to you, SAMHSA. Um, <laughs> call, call me. Um, but I think, too, there it wasn't like everything was going great. And here's this money. It's like, y'all know we're in a pandemic. You know, people are dying. You know, people are going hungry. You know, there's lack of communication. If you're trying to set up vaccine sites and it could be a technical IT infrastructure thing, you know, it's not working. It's like, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a a parachute drop from the sky from this money. And it's like, if you're going to run, if you're going to run for elected office, and you you're gonna that's kind of you better bring yourself you better bring your 100 percent of yourself and you better hire people who are smarter than you in key areas to help you figure that out so i'm not having i'm not having a lot of sympathy but i'm also like and then spending all that time instead of doing the amanda day esquire method which is oops i reversed these numbers on this invoice oh oh wait we already paid that you said it was okay wait now how can we fix this instead of Oh, they were justified. Oh, they work so hard. Oh, they work so hard. It's like, that's not the point. That's not the point. Supplanting is just, I, I, I'm sure there'll be a listener who's like, I once had a federal grant application that said supplanting was okay. Good for you, my friend. I've never seen one and I may not ever see one. There might be something out there that says it's okay. It is more common in foundation funding. It's a different ball game, Mm -hmm. private foundations. You can talk about offsetting expenses and they're cool with that. And if they're not, they'll tell you, but for federal and state government, it's all about not supplanting. And that's just like, that's some basicness, but there's even a better story. I think that Amanda has next. (laughs) This one I had to share just because for once it's, I mean, there is still somebody on the, you know, messing things up, but this is kind of a, Hey, IRS sit up and pay attention kind of a story. So in the July 3rd, 2022, New York Times article by uh, David Farenthold, Troy Clausen, and Julie Tate, 
The article kind of says it all, or the title here. 76 fake charities shared a mailbox. The IRS approved them all. Yeah. You heard that So here's an example. The American Cancer Society of Michigan. It was a fake charity. The address was listed in a rented mailbox on Staten Island. Um, This was not the American Cancer Society. In fact, the actual American Cancer Society warned the IRS about this scheme that was going on. Okay. So it was a gentleman, Mr. Ian Hussein. He's the one who started these 76 nonprofits. Um, Lots of red flags in his application. Um, He often stole the names of well-known charities, including he became the United Way of Ohio. Um, Also registered with that exact same Staten Island address. Staten Island. Staten Island, yep. Um, So how do you do it? Um, A few years ago, the IRS moved to this fast track system for approving charities just because they were, I guess, so many that they were dealing with. Um, When they changed their form, the form used to be 11 pages. The fast track is only three pages. There are basically nine boxes to check in a small section to describe your mission. Um, In the article, it it gives some examples of some of the mission statements that folks shared. And sometimes the answer was come back to this later. Like someone had typed that in and they never did. And they submitted it and still got their nonprofit approved. Um, But when they moved to this new system, they went from denying one in 53 charity requests to one in 2,400 got denied. So more charity applications are coming through. And that in and of itself, I'm not saying that's a bad thing that charities are being approved, but probably to go from that small to that wide of a margin, I'm thinking some things are falling through the cracks. Um, in fact, there was a lady, Nina Olson, um, was quoted in the article. She is a former IRS in-house national taxpayer advocate. Um, she kept warning the IRS about this decreased level of vetting. She's quoted as saying about the IRS, they're the gatekeeper to this whole universe of charitable subsidies. And if the IRS is not doing its job as a gatekeeper, then you've got real problems. So this was something, I mean, it's true that like any other agencies, the IRS, you know, a lot of people were sick during COVID. A lot of people died. A lot of people left their jobs. Um, and it's hard. There's a labor shortage. But this was going on pre-pandemic. Just want to point oh, that out. Started, the, the form change, I think, happened in 2014. So, yeah, it was no. going on before then. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair, the IRS declined to answer. They cited taxpayer privacy laws. Well, what's they- fair about that? What's fair about yeah. that? What's fair is that we don't have their side of the story. Just throwing that out there. But yeah. They, oh, what's, they, I mean, what's fair about going, oh, taxpayer oh. privacy? I'm like, yeah, IRS. Mm-hmm. Well, the gentleman who had all of these, uh, the 76 nonprofits, he was indicted in Brooklyn last May on charges of grand larceny, identity theft, and conducting a scheme to defraud. He pleaded not guilty. Um, the Brooklyn district attorney said he stole about $152,000 in donations that flowed through 23 of these nonprofits he created. What's crazy is he didn't really spend any time promoting these groups. All Basically all the money he came through some of these online giving platforms where you can just go on and you can check which charity you want to donate to. Nope, nope, seems nope. nice, right? If you're like, Hey, I've got some money. I'd like to give back in this area. You can be like, oh, there's the American Cancer Society of Michigan. That's right up my alley. Check, donate, there you go. Well, 
if the American Cancer Society in Michigan is not legit, like it's not, that money is not going to do the things you think it's going to do. Because um, I doubt you donated to help pay this gentleman's mortgage payments, his credit card bills, or him to have a spending spree at the liquor store, because that's what he was doing with the money. Um, so this article talks about two problems with the current IRS system. Um, number one, tax law does not prohibit nonprofits from impersonating better known nonprofits by using sound alike names. You heard that right. Anybody could start a nonprofit called the American Cancer Society of Timbuktu if they wanted to. Like there's no law against that. Um, and that's so that's what a lot of people are doing. And also the second thing is there is no systematic checks for a history of fraud. So there's really not really a system because the gentleman who created all of these, if anybody had done a background check on him, they would have known that he was probably up to shady dealings because he had had, this is not the first time he's been arrested, tried or convicted of things. This is not the first time he's had schemes like this going on. Um, so there needs to be some better system of this. Um, how he, also, I mean, I just, I just, I, I, I can be, I can be silent no longer. Go for it. I mean, look, y'all. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm just trying to set up a freaking password for something. It's like, you must have, you know, the, I mean, it's, it's hard to set up passwords for some of the, some of the things, some of the, some of the software I use. And it's not me going, you, you can, I'm not being a crusty Gen Xer here. They're like steps. And, yeah. and if Double you can't use the same password twice, you can't have this. And I feel all of that, even though it's intensely annoying. And you're telling me that there's, I mean, come on, you just, you know, oh, oh, wait, wait, even better. And I have direct experience with this right now. <laughs> Say on a domain hosting site that might rhyme with slow Maddie, you're going on there and you're trying to figure out your domain names. You can't, it's hard to kind of pop up and get some of those domain names. Or if you're on Gmail, they have systems in place so that there's only like one Kimberly Hayes de Muga uh related gmail address right if yeah. there's another one it needs to be kimberly has a Muga one or b or whatever floats your boat but i mean and you're telling me that the irs can't i mean i'm just like y'all 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 <laughs> and also fast track approving charities may or may not be the right move i know no one from the irs asked me but i'm just saying give me a call because it's like with having more and more charities doesn't necessarily mean that more and more people are going to get services. It may just mean that there's more and more competition for the same amount of money. And also it gives, what's that Bon Jovi song? You give charity giving a bad name. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. We do have a previous episode called how not to start a nonprofit because Sometimes that's not the right answer. There's, I'm just, we do have quite a bit of them. But, yeah. but man, if I'm sure if you were ever late with a payment to IRS or something like that, on you like a ton of bricks. But meanwhile, green lighting, uh-huh. all these charities, why? Why? And also, when the American, I know you, you said that when the American Cancer Society itself was like, hey, y'all, this is a problem. It's like, where, yeah. where are we? Who are, what's going well, on here? And here's what's crazy about that. So um, 
when he, this gentleman had 17 groups with American Cancer Society in their name, and it caught the attention of the real American Cancer Society. So what they had to do to start, they had to contact the state attorney general well, in yeah, okay. each of the states where That's this was fair. happening, because they're the ones who have the power to shut down fraudulent um, nonprofits That's in true. their own jurisdictions. So they were working with North Dakota and Washington and California and places like this. But the state-by-state state process is slow because you're having to deal with multiple things. So finally, American Cancer Society was like, okay, let's go directly to the source. We need you know, national attention. So in 2018, they wrote to the IRS about the pattern they identified, and they didn't hear back. But then two years later in 2020, they approved four more American Cancer Society groups from the same man in Michigan, Detroit, Green Bay, and Cleveland all with the same guy's name and the same Staten Island mailbox, even though they had been notified that this was a problem. Um, so they actually, a 2019 study of that easy nonprofit application process found that 46% of applicants approved were not actually qualified, usually because their charters didn't conform to charity law. And they also often mentioned that mission statements were so vague that they were useless. So I guess I just don't understand again, of all the things of government forms that you could reform, yeah. why this? Yeah. Why this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So um, ultimately, the problem with all this is that the regulatory system for U.S. charities, it rests on the IRS vetting process. It signals to state governments, foundations, individuals, all kinds of people that this charity is legit, right? How many grant applications have you had to include the IRS 501c3 letter to prove you were a legit nonprofit? That's 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 all that's what it is, right? So with a 1.4 million charities, yes, it would be expensive to do background checks on all of them, but Going from that to this form they're doing now, I feel like there's got to be maybe some steps between to uh, make sure that they're actually legit. So, And it gives charity giving a bad name. Just like love got a bad name from whoever broke John Bon Jovi's heart back in the yep. day. But you know what? He took that heartbreak all the way to the bank. Very successful career. Still has good hair. Get on it. <laughs> so... Next up, another tale of woe. This is actually, we're going to go back in time <gasps> to 2021, February 3rd, 2021. Um, it's an um, article on the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services OIG website. Very exciting reading. Actually, it is kind of just saying. It's juicy. Um, <laughs> this uh, entitled University of Nevada, Las Vegas agreed to pay $1.4 million for allegedly violating the civil monetary penalties law by submitting improper claims uh-oh, to NIH and HRSA grants. Naughty, naughty. Let's find out more. So yep. the university did self-disclose to OIG. Okay, okay, UNLV. Way to go. The Esquire method. Yeah, well, this is probably why, like, no, I don't think anybody went to jail. I don't think anybody, they, I don't think they were suspended in the barred. I think that's because they were like, hey, we realize this happened. So how do we fix it? So good for them. UNLV, I'm proud of you. Even if Way you made mistakes. Go. 
So it was, up. as I said, 1.4 million. Okay. Yeah. Former employee and a former employee, excuse me, of UNLV and a principal investigator um, submitted improper claims to several NIH awards and a health resources and services. That's a HRSA award. Okay. Um, they allegedly made UNLV allegedly made subaward payments under NIH awards that were unallowable, um, either made to organizations without su sufficient documentation of whether the activities were for the performance of awards, or made to entities with which the PI principal investigator um, had an undisclosed conflict of interest. What? <laughs> Y'all, oopsie, oopsie. They probably like knew somebody was related to somebody who worked there. Or... They did it anyway. They did yep. it anyway, and they got caught. That it satisfies my justice-seeking heart. So allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, because this is a podcast for entertainment and educational purposes, allegedly the NIH awards were improperly charged for the salary and fringe benefits for the PI without adequate documentation. Oh, for travel and unassociated costs of at least two trips to Nigeria that were unallowable because there was no evidence that the trip was in furtherance of the NIH-funded research. I didn't know I could use grant awards to travel the world. You can't unless it's approved. Yep. So... Okay, admittedly, it's probably a fascinating and incredible country to visit there, but if it wasn't directly related to the research, it wasn't written into the grant, y'all know the drill. If it wasn't an allowable cost, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that. I get, I think it's like, oh, nobody will know. Ding, 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 ding. It's like, no, somebody's going to know. Mm -hmm. So, um, Allegedly, UNLV also allegedly improperly charged a portion of the salary of a nurse practitioner who was working in UNLV's HIV clinic to a HRSA award when UNLV lacked sufficient documentation to support the salary cost. So not as exciting as the trip to Nigeria, but there was a lot more going on because I don't think that trip cost $1.2 I don't think that nurse's salary yeah. was another... 200 grand. So I'm just saying there's a no. lot more to this, but also I think the point that Amanda made is something I wish to reiterate. Somebody grabbed that whistle and blew it. They were a whistle blower and the university itself said, here we are. What do we need to do? And they made it right. Now, no. the downside, as I will always say, is that that was probably some important research that has been stymied or slowed. It yeah. erodes the public's trust in mm -hmm. federal grant awards and also in universities. And now's not a good time to be doing that because universities are under a lot of weird scrutiny. But I'm just saying, at least they came clean and 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 made it right and made restitution yes. and didn't try and 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 bury other government entities or under a, a, an avalanche of paperwork about why this was justified. So, yep. okay. Yep. Okay. 
So since this is kind of a teaching podcast, let's talk a few lessons learned about the stories we talked about today, right? So not just, oh, they did all these wrong things. We'll learn from them. Yeah, it's teaching, like teaching you how not to froth at the mouth. I'm not very good at that. Yep. So COVID money, and so like we talked about, any money, whether it's the stimulus money, now the new bipartisan infrastructure law, money from the federal government is, is being created, new programs left and right, not a bad thing. But when it comes out that fast, really nobody seems to understand what's going on. So just including make sure- the funders, including yeah, the funders. Yeah. We get it. We get it. We get it. Yes, because they're I mean their job is to get that money out there. So you just want to make sure, read everything you can get your hands on, talk to your funders, be in constant communication, and understand that just because a funder says, Yeah, that's good, three days later they may realize it's not and the, it could change. And so we're not saying we like that. We're not saying that's a good practice. We're just saying that's what happens. It is. And I've heard more and more stories about people going, yeah, I had it in writing for my program officer and they still made us do something different or still made us pay something back. So just it's, that's a hard, that's a hard time to be a grant manager. So you just need to be as careful as you possibly can be. Yeah. Um, Another lesson is just because a nonprofit is, has an IRS letter, doesn't necessarily mean they're legit. So if you're, you know, before you donate or before you award that grant, you know, if there's a reason to believe it's not legit, you may want to dig a little deeper. Okay. And I, the, here's the thing I hate about that story is I do hate that there are some great nonprofits doing incredible work and it's getting harder and harder for them through the grant process to prove because more and more funders for even $5,000, they're wanting to know this, 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 and this, and this. And the reason being is because you do have these nonprofits that really aren't, right? And, and these so were individual donations. These are probably individual donations, though. These weren't even grants. And so think about the people who maybe had an aunt or uncle or cousin in Michigan struggling with cancer or died from cancer and they're choosing this and they're trying to do something good. Maybe next time they'll be like, no, nah, the money's just going to get misused. I mean, yeah, it's it just, it's, it's no. such a, it's such a cruel thing there to, to it do. Is. It's just, I'm glad yeah. they caught this guy. Yep. And then last but not least, um, the one thing I picked up on from that last story you told about UNLV, um, a lot of their stuff, they got in trouble because they didn't have proper documentation. So cannot stress enough, document all your expenses, document the work that's being done, document that things are legitimate. Because then you can go back and say, no, look, I do have all proof. It was actually a legit expense. Here's everything you need. So those are my lessons learned today. And people just going to keep trying to take those vacations, get their wedding receptions paid for, personal augmentation surgery with the grant <laughs> funding. Y'all, all of these things have happened and have been documented as happening. If you haven't watched or listened to previous episodes of Rip from the Headlines, if you want to hear about these other stories, there's one, there's one from season two on. Check them out. I mean, sadly, I think we could do these episodes from now until the end of time because, you know, it's an intoxicating thing, money and power. And um, yeah, but don't let, I guess the take home message is live vicariously through this nonsense. And if you are a grant professional who's listening to this going, well, I could never speak up because I'm not the one who da 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 da. Oh, yes, you can. Um. There are ways to do these things. Your your agencies and organizations should have a whistleblower policy. And yep. if 
And obviously I would never counsel you to do something that would put you or your family in danger. But if there are ways to do this and you don't do it, you kind of become a part of the problem. And by kind of, I mean, you're complicit. Mm -hmm. And that's something to think about. If you don't know, you don't know. But if you are the grant manager or the grant writer in charge of like putting these things through, you might know. And once you know, you can't unknow. Um, So the whole point of this is to also say there are ways you can educate up and help understand, help people understand. And our more, in our, I would say in my more um, professional experience, it's not been egregious stealing and taking expensive vacations or second homes or whatever. It's been more, oh, we can just shift the money over there because that's where we need it now. And it was my job a lot of times to be the cold wind of doom and go, yeah, yeah, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Absolutely. I'll err on the side that a lot of time that's done out of ignorance, but that's still no excuse, um, misspent funds or misspent funds. True story. And every time somebody does something like this, that's just, there's going to be suddenly a new step, a new check, a new form, a new rule, a new hoop to jump through. It just makes it more complicated from the rest of us that are just out there trying to do good. So that's why we can't have nice things with our grant applications. Oh, I know. Mm. But hey, I will put one more plug in what I just realized. Speaking of nice things, it would be lovely. It'd be so nice if you would join us at the Chicago GPA Conference, uh, April 28th. If you're wanting to know how to register, go to grantprofessionals.org. Scroll down on the homepage and on the right-hand side, there's a calendar of events. Click on that. Scroll down to April 28th and it'll take you right to the registration link. We'd love to see you there. So as always, we are super glad that you chose to listen to us, to spend time with us, and we hope you've learned a thing or two. Maybe we made you laugh with us. Maybe you're laughing at us uh, and our cheesy sound effects. That's all good. Um, whether, whether you've been with us since episode one or whether you're joining us today, we're just grateful. We're grateful that you're here. And we will be really grateful if you would, um, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you would follow us there and leave a review. Reviews are the number one way Apple Podcasts are number one platform and it really does make a difference in how their algorithms interpret the popularity of this podcast and then it puts it in front of other people who might be interested in this subject. So please please do that. Um if you're if you're fo- if you're listening to us on Spotify or you're you're on our website, if you could just tell a friend, that would be great. And if you can't get enough of the Heyday stuff, visit our brand new website, Heyday Services, H-A-Y-D-A-Y Services.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We got some freebies there. Um, We um, are really excited to push this out into the world and it'll be a place where you can come find out places where we're going, places where we'll be speaking, and also just some useful information for you about grants and fundraising and such. Thank you again to our season six sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, 
dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest resources today. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today. Be sure to join us for our next episode. I'm really excited about this one. We are talking to Julie Bull and her experience with Brene Brown's Dare to Lead training. Um, Trust me when I say this is probably one of my favorite conversations I've had on the podcast, so you don't want to miss it. You don't. Bye, my friend.